You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. Forevermore. So this morning we rest in you. We rest in you knowing that everything has been taken care of. And this morning we let you be a father to us. We let you be a father to us. And Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for all that you're doing, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. What's up? Move this. Moved. There we go. (sighs) Well, let's dive into it. Before we get started, I want to tell you this. Um, Today's message is going to be a little bit different than the norm. And I say that because of this. I have never actually stood up and said, I declare this prophetically from the Lord, thus saith the Lord. Um, I've never done that before. In fact, coming into this message, I was very cautious to do that. Um, but the more I prepared, I felt like there was, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. When we get there, we'll get there and I'll, I'll explain what I'm talking about. But all that said to say this, I remember I was about two and a half weeks ago, about two, three weeks ago, I was at work, I was driving and I heard the Lord tell me something. And I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'll probably just end up telling you before we get there. But I heard the Lord tell me something specifically. And what came out of it, I said, Lord, you know, I, I started meditating on it. And I told my mom, I think she's the only one I've told. I might have told my wife. But um, I was just meditating. And the more I meditated on it, the Lord said this. And I'm just going to tell you. The Lord said this. This generation, and again, take it with a grain of salt. I'm going to explain the whole way there. Today's sermon is going to be different from messages in the past, but the Lord said this, this generation will be known for the wealth and for its wisdom. All right. For its wealth and for its wisdom. Now I'm going to explain what that means in just a moment. And I hope that I don't lose anyone on the way. Uh, if we do go back and get the sermon, but, uh, suffice to say this, he said, this generation will be known for its wealth and for its wisdom. Now I have friends of mine that sometimes they they say, well, Matthew, you teeter on the prosperity gospel. And I thought, well, Lord, if I share this one, (laughs) this is going to kind of blow the door wide open, but I don't care because as we've said before, if you come to church and get poor, more poorer, you should probably stop going to that church. And everyone said, (laughs) did you know that outside the the tabernacle, outside of, um, outside in the outer courts of the tabernacle, everything was bronze. Then when you step into the holy place or the inner courts, everything becomes gold. Then when you go beyond that, everything is still gold. The closer you get to God, the more gold you see. If you get closer to God and you see less gold, something's wrong. (laughs) Now, again, in this church, we are very clear about this. God wants you to have money. God wants you to have wealth. And let's say it like this. God doesn't want you to have a certain number. He wants you to have prosperity. True prosperity is realizing that God has made me sufficient and oversupplied for every single need. All right. It doesn't mean God's going to give you 12 million and keep 12 million in your bank account at all times. You will never drop below 12 million. I'm blessed. You know, no, that's not true prosperity. True prosperity is realizing I always am oversupplied for every need. Oversupplied. I love that word. Oversupplied. I just wrote a blog on it. So it's fresh in my mind. Oversupplied. Can you say oversupplied? Oversupplied. (laughs) 
<laughs> Oversupplied. God wants you to have 12 basketfuls left over. And when you are done eating, gather up the leftovers and have some left over. When you're done, when you're finished meeting the need that, that, that the problem that's come up, God wants you to have 12 basketfuls left over. Oversupplied. And everyone said. Amen. So anyways, wealth and wisdom. I don't know how we got to that. But anyways, uh, again, I heard the Lord say this. This will be a generation that's known for its wealth and for its wisdom. Now, I can't get it all out today because there's way too much to share. So that said, this will be part one of our new series, <laughs> Wealth and Wisdom. Well, let's get started. Are you ready? Let's dive into it. If you have your Bible, you can actually turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And don't forget, this is the year of reaping. And that was me. <laughs> Where are we at? There we go. And let me just... No. There we go. This is the year of reaping. And before you have a harvest, you always have rain. Right? Before you have harvest, you always have a rain. In fact, uh, after that first Sunday we had and we shared the, uh, the theme of the year, this is the year of reaping, especially reaping where you haven't sown. All right. After I shared that message, um, the night before, I actually tried to look up what the meteorologists were the same for this year, and I couldn't find it. I'm not very good when it comes to trying to find out weather statistics and all that, so I just gave up. But after the service, my mom came and pulled me to the side, and she said, did you know that they said, and she, my mom, she bear witness, she came and she said, did you know that they said this year we'll get more rain at the beginning of this year than any other year before? Now, that made me excited. you know why? Because before you have a harvest, you must always have the rain. The rain right? So what is God saying? What is he doing? Whatever the Lord is doing, he's saying, hey, look, I'm preparing you for something that's coming down the road. And Satan always tries to react. He can never start something. He always responds to what God is doing. So when Satan realizes God is about to send you a harvest that you don't deserve, he's about to send you places to reap where you haven't worked hard, places where you haven't sown seed. What does he do? He tries to shut everything down. He tries to stop everything. And if he can stop everything, then you can believe, hey, my resources are running out. God, where are you? And all the while the Lord is going, he's just responding to what I'm doing. I've already unleashed rain that you've never seen before. And you know what's so cool? I love, and I, I can say this, I love Joseph Prince. I think he's an awesome guy. You know what his theme for this year was? The year of the latter rain. <laughs> now, I didn't know that until the service was over. I got on Instagram and saw the year of the, and I thought, whoa. I was excited. I thought that was cool, you know? People who preach grace, they have the same, you know, we, we, we click. We're cool. We know each other. <laughs> but, that said, I, you know, I was excited. God is sending rain. God is sending rain. And what you see in the physical is just a, a, a visual for God to show you. If you, if you not, if you don't have enough discernment to discern what I'm doing, just look with your physical eyes. And at the same time, in America, at the same time, what is the devil trying to do? Shut down the government. And what happens? People's money has been affected. What's the number one thing they talk about the most? Yes, TSA agents, yes, federal workers, yes. But what, what, what's the number one thing they talk about the most? The money. Are you with me? And last time I shared, what did we say? When God sends you a harvest, he wants you to have wealth. Wealth. Satan is responding to what God has already done. And he's only responding like this. Why? Because he sees how big the harvest is coming. Are you with me? Are you with me? I'm telling you, God has a harvest for you that he's doing his best to stop you. But I believe that there's a group of people at Center Church who say, we don't care what happens over here. We don't care what happens over here. Our eyes are on Jesus. Our eyes are on Jesus. Our eyes are on him. 
Because he is our wealth. He is our provider. He is our supplier. And he is our supply. Jesus is all we'll need. And we don't pursue wealth. Wealth pursues you as you pursue him. But as I was getting ready for this message, the Lord, I said, and I'm very, I say this very carefully. I thought, you know, this, the Lord spoke to me and said, this generation will be known for its wealth and for its wisdom. Okay. That's what he said. And I said, why is it important that I share it out loud? Why can't I share it on a Bible study night? <laughs> because I wanted to. And I, again, the more I meditated on it, I felt like the Lord said this. He took me to a verse. I think it's in Amos, if I'm not mistaken. I might be wrong. But he said this, before the Lord does anything, he gives it to the mouth of his prophet. Are you with me? Now, why through the mouth of a prophet? Because God needs someone on earth to declare out loud what he can do. I know we say, well, the Lord can do anything. There are some things God is bound by his own word. He cannot do some things he can't do. All right. I believe that God can do anything within the guidelines that we let him. That's why it's so important for us to open our mouth and declare the word of God over us. That's why when God gives you a word, it's important for you to open your mouth and declare it. God needs someone on earth to declare out loud. You will be a people that will be known for the wealth and the wisdom that comes from this generation. You will be a people. We will be a people. We will be a church that is known for the wealth and the wisdom that comes. Oh, man, I'm excited. I want to just skip to the end of the sermon, but we can't do that. We must journey. Are you ready for the journey? Second Corinthians chapter three. Let's start here. Second Corinthians chapter three. We'll pick up at verse five. Paul says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from who? From God. Now, again, the word sufficiency, some some translations have it like um, uh, um, pretty much our sufficiency. In other words, we don't think that anything that we could earn, anything we could deserve is from us. Whatever we have, our sufficiency is from God. And that's true. But I want you to also see it in this light as well. Your sufficiency, when you lay hands on someone and you pray for them, are you praying for them or are you laying hands on them? Because it's two different things. Yes, you open your mouth. Yes, you pray. But when you lay hands and you open your mouth, on one hand, Jesus is laying hands on that person through you. Because your spirit and his spirit are one. So when you lay hands on someone, it's like Jesus' hands laying hands on them. And every time Jesus lays hands on someone, they always get healed. In fact, the Bible says as many as could touch him before he could touch them. If they touched him first, they were all healed. Are you with me? So our sufficiency is not from ourselves. It's from him. I'm, I'm not praying for you. I'm, I'm laying my hands on you. And as I pray, God is praying through me for you. Do you see the difference? One, you'll get my results, which I think I have pretty good results. You know, <laughs> on the other hand, you get Jesus's results 100 percent of the time. You'll never see one person in the gospel that touched Jesus and didn't get healed. You'll never see one dead person that Jesus came up and touched him and said, "Uh oh, (laughs) hold on a moment. I'll be right back. Let me go pray. (laughs) Are you with me? Now, let's keep going. Verse six, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the what covenant? covenant. Which covenant? The new covenant. So notice God does not make you sufficient as a minister of the old. If you insist on preaching and teaching, what to do and what not to do, how to be a good Christian and how not to be, all right, a horrible sinner. If you insist on preaching the old covenant, God will not make you sufficient. Thank you for that thunderous amen. That was quiet. <laughs> that was quiet. But all of you are ministers of the new covenant. 
All of you are ministers of the new covenant. Whether you admit it or not, you are ministers of the new covenant. Everywhere you go, like Paul said earlier in this book, you are God's letter to everyone. Meaning what? Even when you don't open your mouth, people are seeing the favor of God on you. They are seeing it with, with their own eyes. God favors them. God favors you. God loves you. And they may never say it to you, to your face, but I'm telling you they're talking about you. And I, and I if I could share a testimony this morning, I would. But I, as God is my witness. People see the favor of God on you. You are God's letter. And whether you open your mouth or not, you are a minister of the new covenant. All the more reason to open your mouth. Now, knowing that you are a minister of the new covenant, what does that mean for you? That means as you are a minister, God makes you sufficient. God makes you sufficient. Now, I'm going to show you in just a moment how we execute that. In just a moment, I will. But before we do, say this. God makes me sufficient. Now, listen. Wherever you're lacking, he fills it. Wherever you're lacking, he fills it. The next time someone sick comes around you and they're coughing in your, in your face and they want to shake your hand, don't be afraid. <laughs> he makes me sufficient. Miss Angie tried to give me the elbow this morning. She tried to give me the football. She said, don't touch me. Her voice was a little raspy. She said, don't touch me. I'm just joking. <laughs> and I said, you know, we don't do that around here. You don't come to church and stay away from sick people. We come to church and get healed. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God makes you sufficient. Wherever you are missing, he makes you sufficient. But he only does it for people who are new covenant ministers. You insist on preaching the old, God won't make you sufficient. (laughs) That's why when I hear people preach and teach from the old covenant mentality, and then they dabble a little bit in the new, I just, I try not to smile, but I smile because it's funny. And then you just go... God will not make you sufficient. And whatever success you do have, it's because you've worked yourself to the bone. On the other hand, I would rather let the Lord be my sufficiency. I would rather let him be my sufficiency. You know that, and it's so funny Stephen said that. He, brought, he almost had me in tears. It's so funny that Stephen said that. You know when God called David, he was just a teenage boy? But when did he become the king? My God, it was years later. Years You know that Joseph was in captivity for almost 20, I think it was almost 20 years from the time they threw him in the pit to the time he stood before Pharaoh and became the number two in the entire known world at that time. It was almost 20 years. We look at people who made it very quickly and we say, oh my God, why can't I be there that quick? And I'm so guilty of it so many times. But you know what? I would rather be a minister of the new covenant and say, Jesus, you are my sufficiency. Jesus, you are my sufficiency. And whatever I'm lacking in, you will feel. You ready to go home? No. (laughs) Verse 10. Uh, Wait, I I moved forward. I didn't mean to. We're still in the first verse. Anyways, let's pick up so we can get to the point. Verse 6. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, kills, kills. The letter kills. What is he talking about? We'll show you in just a moment. But the spirit gives life. Notice the word kills is not, in the Greek I should have shown you, but the word kills is not spiritually kill, uh, it's not emotionally kill, it's the word kill, dead. <laughs> That's why we're so careful about bringing ministers in here to preach to you. Because if they come up here and they minister the letter, guaranteed to kill. <laughs> From the mouth of God himself. Preaching the letter kills. I want you to live a long life. And I want you to be healthy. So we're very careful to make sure no one comes in and preaches the letter. And everyone said, but the spirit gives life. 
But if the ministry of death, notice what is the letter? The ministry of death written and engraved on what was that? The Ten Commandments. That means when they come in and preach the do's and don'ts of Christianity, they are preaching the letter. And they always mask it with, let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. Oh, by the way, since we've got 10 more minutes, if you do this, if you do that, if you do this, if you, and they start giving you all the things not to do, then they give you the next 10 steps. Oh, by the way, write this down and next week we'll see you. God bless you. <laughs> no, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The ministry of death written and engraved on stones. Now look up here. If the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, it was glorious. So that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the spirit not be more glorious? No, I'm coming to something. Watch this. Verse nine. For if the ministry of condemnation, what is that? The Ten Commandments. Wow. If the ministry of condemning people, if it had glory and it did at one point. If it had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. <laughs> then what does he say? For even what was made glorious, the ministry of condemnation, had no glory in this respect. Because the glory of the glory that excels. Do you realize when you are in a, in, in a ministry or when you're in a church or when you choose to hear someone who declares over you, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm telling you, you are right with God and it has nothing to do with what you have done, but everything to do with what Jesus has done. That ministry gives life. That ministry gives life. But when they are on the other side of the coin, they make you feel condemned and judged for everything that you've done. That ministry is killing you. <laughs> Right? It's not Matthew declaring death. No, no, no. That's God's word. It kills. But on the other hand, when you're hearing the ministry of righteousness, God has made you righteous as a gift, a free gift. But what if I fail? It's a gift. If he takes it back, it was a bribe. God will never bribe you. <laughs> when Jesus was at the cross, he saw your entire lifetime and said, I'll still die for you. What if they take advantage of it? I'll still die for you. This is the ministry of righteousness. This is the ministry of righteousness. And notice what it says. What had glory before in comparison to what you have now had no glory. In other words, what God is doing right now is going to eclipse what came before. And when you look behind you, you'll say there was no glory compared to what God is doing now. Now, what does that have to do? What in the world does that have to do with sowing and reaping <laughs> everything? Because I'm telling you, the harvest you had before in comparison to what God is going to bring to you this year will have no glory in comparison to what you have now. Oh, man. And everyone said, Amen. oh, man. Oh, man. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Thank you, Jesus. Let's keep going. What is the ministry of righteousness? Watch this. The ministry of righteousness. Then I'm going to show you how to execute this. Romans chapter 4. Paul says, even King David, and I'm using the Passion Translation for this. If you have a different Bible, we normally use the New King James. But I use the Passion Translation because we've seen this many times in our church. So I didn't want to just show you the same thing, but I love this, this translation. Even King David himself speaks to us regarding the complete wholeness that comes inside a person. When God's powerful declaration of righteousness is heard over our life. Let's read that one more time in the gold. He says what? Complete wholeness. 
that comes inside a person when God's powerful declaration of righteousness is heard over our life. Oh my God, that's the story of Matthew Edwards in a nutshell. (laughs) How Matthew Edwards was just moving through life and one day he found out that no, 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 no. God has made you righteous apart from your good works and apart from your failures. God has made you righteous. And every blessing and every ounce of favor that belongs to the righteous is finding its way to you right now. And when I heard that, oh my God, I can't tell you the wholeness, the utter complete wholeness that filled the inside of me when I heard God's powerful declaration. What about my failures? You are righteous. And the job of the Holy Spirit is not to condemn. He comes to condemn everyone of sin. What sin? Not believing in Jesus. So I said, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Now he is here to convict you. You are righteous. You are righteous. You are righteous. He's here to convict you. You are righteous. The ministry of the Spirit is a ministry that convicts you. You are righteous. You're guilty of being right with God. (laughs) But I don't act like it. Aren't you glad the righteous live by faith? Not by what they see. So what does he say? Complete wholeness that comes inside a person. What happens when we start telling our children? What happens when we raise a generation of children who are over there right now, who are being taught, who are being raised, that no matter what you do, God will never leave you. He will never leave you. He will never let go of you. He will favor you over everyone else in that classroom. We are raising a generation of children who will grow up knowing, knowing. They they won't have to wait till they're older. They will learn it now. Oh, my God. And the wholeness that they will have, the completion they will have. Oh, man. Anyways. Apart from our works, God's work is enough. We're going to be stuck here for a long time. Let's keep going. (laughs) Here's what David says. What happy fulfillment is ahead for those whose rebellion has been forgiven and whose sins are covered by blood. What happy progress, what happy progress comes to them when they hear the Lord speak over them. I will never hold your sins against you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Progress doesn't come when you find out how you've done, how, how, how you failed and how you can do better. That's not progress. The world says, you want to get better? Find out where you failed. God says, you want to get better? Find out what I did for you. Keep learning what I did for you. And that will cause you to progress. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. I want to keep moving because we're going to get stuck here. We're going to be here for a long time. So Luke chapter five. Now, in Luke chapter five, if you have your Bible, You don't have to turn there, but in Luke chapter 5, four things happen, okay? And I'm going to show you how Jesus executes the ministry of righteousness, okay? Now, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is depicted as a king. In Mark's gospel, Jesus is depicted as a servant. But in Luke's gospel, Jesus is depicted as a man. He comes as the son of man so that he can be among us. He can relate to us. Then at the end of Luke, he can stand before God as one of us. Are you with me? And God will judge him as all of us. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So in Luke's gospel, Jesus is depicted as a man. So how does Jesus execute the ministry of righteousness? And we're not going to look at Jesus as an example. But let me say this. The more you behold him, the more like him you will become. Are you with me? The more you look at him, the more like him you will become. So let's look at Jesus and see how he does it. In Luke chapter 5, you have four different things Jesus does. And uh, I love Luke's gospel in particular because it's very uh, poetic in the way that it's structured. 
Now, I won't go into all that. That's, I probably shouldn't even say that in the first place. Anyways, Luke structures his chapters very uniquely. All right. He structures his stories very uniquely. But in Luke chapter five, this is what happens. It opens with the story of Peter, how Jesus calls Peter to follow him. The next thing that happens is Jesus heals a leper. I'm sorry. He cleanses the leper. After he cleanses the leper, he heals a man who's been paralyzed. Are you with me? Then it ends with him calling Matthew, who was the greatest disciple. And everyone said. (laughs) All right. So do you see the parallel here? Right. He calls Peter. He heals. He heals. He calls Matthew. The greatest disciple. So you see the, the, the picture here, the, the, the poetry of how Luke structures his gospel. And this is a really cool picture when you look at it. All right. Now, we're not going to look at every story. I only pulled out excerpts from each story so you can see something. Is that OK? Let's look at how Jesus executes the ministry of righteousness. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Peter. You remember when when Jesus called Peter, he got into the boat and he told Peter to do what? Cast out your nets, plural. And Peter looked at him probably smirking and said, we fished all night, but you know what? At your word, I'll throw out a net. I'll entertain you. Remember that? So he throws out a net and Jesus probably smiling said, more fish come, more fish come. (laughs) And he broke Peter's net. He broke his net. Now, what did we see from that story? In that story we saw, we we were always taught, if you don't give God 100%, he doesn't want any of it. Peter gave Jesus 25%. Jesus broke the net. I'm going to give you so much. I'm going to be so good to you. It's going to turn you around and cause you to follow me. Are you with me? I'm going to be so good to you that it's going to make you want to follow me. (laughs) I'm going to make you fall in love with me. That's how good I'm going to be to you. Thank you. So what what happened? So let's look at this real quick. Just show you one verse. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. (laughs) You know what we taught people in the old, back in the day? We told them how sinful they were how holy God was. And when they saw how sinful they were, they said, I'm sinful, I'm sinful. And then it didn't work. They stayed in church for a couple months, a couple years, and it didn't work. So Jesus comes and says, let me show you a better way. Let me show you how good I am. Let me show you how good I am. I don't care that you're only giving me 25%. I'll take whatever you give me. Just give me something. And whatever you give me, I'll be so good to you. I'm going to give you a net breaking, boat sinking experience. It'll make you fall in love with me. Are you with me? Are you with me? That's why you don't have to. And I say this by the grace of God. Please hear me by the grace of God. You say, well, what about my children? If they have given him one percent, that's all he needs. He will give them a net breaking boat sinking experience. They will fall head over heels in love with him. I love this. It's not not my sermon. I love this. I think it's in Hosea. He says this. Take your wife and do what I want to do to Israel. I'm going to call her out to the wilderness where she can no longer hear the names of everyone she left me for. And when I call her out to the wilderness, when I should be disciplining her, I'm going to speak kindly to her and I'm going to whisper sweet nothings. That's my paraphrase. I'm going to whisper into her and I'm going to tell her how much I love her and I will turn her around. It's not it's not the wrath of God that leads us to repentance. It's the what? The goodness. The love and goodness of God. Are you with me? Now, that's the first story. The second thing that happens is what? He cleanses the leper. He cleanses the leper. Look at this, verse 12. And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, do you know that under the law, the law says, the only, the only thing the law says, if a leper has been healed, 
It doesn't tell you how to, how to get healed. It says if a leper has been healed, he's to come to the, uh, to the priest and the priest is to say, okay, he's to inspect him. Yes, he has been healed. Are you with me? Then in order for him to be cleansed, he must do all these things. He must bring this pigeon. He must bring this dove. He must bring this lamb, this bull, and they must have blood goes everywhere and we're killing animals and the whole thing. All right. <laughs> it's in Leviticus. And that's the law of the cleansing of the leper. But before he can be cleansed, he must first be healed. And this man is full of leprosy and he sees Jesus and he comes to him and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And when I was meditating on this for the first time, I saw this. He was saying, Lord, you can bypass healing. You can do the hard work. Make me clean. Give me the end result. And what did Jesus say? You must first be healed, child. <laughs> no, what did Jesus say? Then he put out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. What are we seeing? How does God execute the ministry of righteousness? I'll do all the heavy lifting. Wherever your faith is. If you, want, if you believe I'll heal you, then I'll heal you. But if you can believe I'll cleanse you, I'll go out. Let's keep going. <laughs> I will meet you wherever you want me to meet you. This is the ministry of righteousness. He didn't look at him and say, we must abide by the law. Because the law says he can't touch the leper. But I'm telling you, under the law, sin is contagious. Under the law, you better be careful how much you put yourself around. And I say that graciously. Lot tormented his own self by choosing to stay in Sodom and Gomorrah. All right. I say that carefully and I say it graciously. Under the law, sin is contagious. But under grace, God's holiness is contagious. God's holiness is contagious. Are you with me? Now, that's number two. Let's look at number three. Remember, he calls Peter. He, he cleanses the leper. Number three, he'll heal the paralytic. Watch this. Which is easier to say? The paralyzed man comes and he says, son, your sins are forgiven when he sees the faith of his friends. So he looks at the man and says, son, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees say within themselves, who does he think he is? He can forgive sins. Jesus, perceiving what's in the heart, says, your sin, he says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or to say, rise up and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Now, two things, two things and we'll move on. All right. Two things. Number one, the man didn't have faith. We know that because the Bible says he looked and saw their faith, not his faith. So what did he say to give that man the faith to be healed? Your sins are forgiven. Why do we talk so much about forgiveness of sins? Because when you are reminded that you are righteous, when you are reminded your sin has been removed, the faith that you need will come. I don't have to say have faith. I can just tell you your sins are forgiven and the faith will come. Even if the miracle is being paralyzed, the faith will come. The second thing is this, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk. Watch this verse 24. But so that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. Watch this. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say, arise, take up your bed and walk. The fact that the man could be healed was evidence that he had been forgiven. Now, let's say it this way. The fact that Jesus had the power to tell this man to get up and the man actually would do it proved that he could forgive sins. I love that. I love that. What is the evidence that your sin has been forgiven? You know what? The blood of Jesus. But you know how God is going to show the rest of the world his favor on you when you fail. All right. His favor on you when you fail. That's how he's going to show them your sin has been forgiven. 
I can, I'm telling, when people look at you and say, and I hope they don't say this to you. Don't tell them you come to this church. Right? No, you call yourself a Christian? <laughs> and I've heard that before. Not recently. Not recently. Not recently. But, I, you know, we've, heard, we've all heard that. Somebody, you call yourself a Christian? And you, you might have thought it at some point. How can that person call themselves a Christian? But again, what is the ministry of righteousness? That God comes, puts so much favor on you that people say he is a Christian. But he doesn't act like it. (laughs) He is a believer, but he doesn't act like it. How do you know it? Because everything he touches turns to gold. (laughs) Everywhere Joseph goes, he's always in charge of someone else. He's in prison and he's in charge of someone else. How does this work? I mean, come on. You see what I'm saying? So again, if they come to you and say that, don't you say sinner church. Don't say it. But if they do say it, (laughs) it's God showing them how good he is. Are you with me? Now, let's come to the last one, and then I'll show you what I want to share in the beginning. Come to the very last one. Look at this in Luke chapter 5, verse 30. Same chapter, verse 30. He calls Matthew. In fact, I didn't put it up here, but he comes to Matthew, who's a tax collector. He's got a lot of money, and everyone said. Yes. <laughs> Matthew's a tax collector, and he, he's robbing his people blind while he's there <laughs> collecting taxes. And Jesus shows up and says, follow me. Matthew leaves the money, and he gets up, and he walks away. And I love that that picture in the movie, Son of God, because Jesus comes and he's about to say, follow me. And that's not how the Bible puts it, but I just think it's a cool, cool picture. If you get a chance, go watch the movie, Son of God, and watch that clip specifically, because man, it's beautiful. He comes and one of the Pharisees that's following Jesus says, look at him. He's a tax collector and he's one of us. Such will never enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus looks at Matthew and Matthew looks at him and Matthew knows who he is. And he's got money in his hands and he's looking at him and Jesus looks at him and he says, let me tell you a story. A man came into the temple once and he stood up to pray and beside him a Pharisee stood. And the Pharisee cried out, oh God, I'm so glad I'm not like this horrible tax collector. I'm glad I've never stole from my own people. I'm glad I've never done this. I've never done that. I've never done any of the things that this horrible sinner has done beside me. I'm so glad I'm so good. He said right beside the the Pharisee, the the tax collector looked at him and with tears in his eyes. And Man, it's a beautiful picture. You got to go see it. (laughs) I'm about to cry now. No, it's, it's, it's amazing though. And Jesus says, Oh, Lord, you know what a sinful man I am. And while he's saying it, Matthew's at the table with money in his hands, and he's saying the same thing as Jesus says it. He's mouthing the words out of his mouth. And what you see is the grace of God comes to take the worst. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Yes. I knew it was going to happen today. (laughs) I was preparing. I started crying last night. Worship is happening. I was like, oh, God, don't do this. (laughs) Get the tears out now. But no. What do you see? The ministry of righteousness comes and says, while you're doing it, you're still favored. While you're doing it, you're still reaping. You are still reaping. And I'm telling you, this is a year of reaping where you have not sown. And don't look at how good you are. Don't don't look at how good you are. Don't even look to the left and to the right. Don't look at anything that's going on. All right. I watch the news to stay informed, but don't even get sidetracked with that. I'm telling you, this is a year of reaping. And I'm telling you, Satan wants you to look to the left and look to the right. But even if you look to the left and the right, like Peter, who saw the waves, he saw the wind. Jesus will still catch you and he'll pick you back up and we will walk back to the boat together on top of the water, holding his hand. Are you with me? This is a year to reap where you have not sown. Now, let me show you this and we'll close with this. I'm not going to show you this. You can read uh, the rest of that for yourself. Let me close with this. 
about two, two and a half weeks ago, like I said, I was at work. I was actually driving and I heard the Lord say this. Solomon generation. Okay. He said Solomon generation. And at first I was like, okay, I don't really know <laughs> how that works. If you know anything about Solomon, in fact, let me ask you this. What are the two things that Solomon is known for the most? His wisdom and what? Now, what did we start off saying? You'll be known for your wealth and your wisdom, right? Now, we don't have enough time to break the whole thing down today. We'll share it next week and maybe the following week if we don't get it all next week. But the Lord said this, and I'll close with this. He said a Solomon generation. And I said, why that? And a few minutes later, just meditating, why? And the Lord said, because Solomon was known for two things, for his wealth and for his wisdom. And I said, okay, (laughs) that's always a good sign. But I said, Lord, what about where Solomon failed? You know that Solomon died at an early age? Did you know that? So I said, why not a David generation? And I just had this conversation with the Lord. I said, Lord, why not a David generation? Because David was better. David was a man after God's own heart. Now, let me say this. Whenever you see Old Testament patriarchs in their failures, they're not a picture of Christ. But in their exploits, they are clearly a picture of Christ. Joseph, even though he is a shadow of Christ, was not always a picture of Christ. Are you with me? He made mistakes, just like David made a lot of mistakes. But David in his exploits was a type and shadow of Christ. So when you look at Solomon, you can see there are pictures and shadows of Solomon that resemble Christ. Are you with me? Now, the beauty of Solomon is this. His name, Solomon, is actually in the Hebrew, Shalom, but an O on the end. So it would be Shalom Mo. Now, Shalom, what does Shalom mean? Peace. When the Lord said, you are a Solomon generation, straight away, the first thing that came to me was this. You will be known for your peace. Are you with me? Now, take it one step further. Wealth and wisdom. Well, I said, Lord, why not David? David was his father. Why not David? And then I saw this beautiful picture. David, when he built a house for God, he had worship going on how how long? 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The worship never ended. And God was so pleased that in Acts, Stephen, who was murdered, who was martyred, Stephen said this. The Lord said again, I will bring back the house of David. Are you with me? Now, knowing this, knowing this, I thought, okay, well. Surely, why not David? But when I saw it, David, what did he do? He brought worship to the house. He brought worship to Israel that had never existed before. Do you realize it was the generation before us that brought worship in like it's never been before? The worship that's coming out now. I'm talking about not worship. Oh, don't get me wrong. I love the worship from five, ten years ago. But the worship that's coming out now, my God. And it's coming out of churches that don't even believe the grace of God like we do. That's the scary part. <laughs> And it's like, these people don't even believe in the grace of God like us. But do you hear what they said? Do you hear what they said? I mean, and that's why in our church, we're like, well, hey, I love the the lyrics. Let's bring the worship to our house. Are you with me? And again, we, we honor what happened 10, 15, 20 years ago. But the worship that's coming out now, my God, is coming from places that don't even believe the grace of God like us. So what happened was the generation before us, they came and they brought worship that we've never seen. But this generation, oh my God, this generation, what is God doing? You know that when David said, I want to build a house for God, God said, no, there's too much on your hands. What did he say? Instead, your son will build a house for me. Now, think about it for a moment. This is a twofold way to look at it. Build a house. Let's look at the natural. You will build a house for me. What does that mean? For one, center church, we will have our own house. Amen, right? I had to throw that in there. For one, right, the house of God will be more beautiful than it's ever been before. Structurally, it will be more beautiful than it's ever been before. 
people will come in and they will see the beauty of the house of God. Are you with me? Secondly, who is the house of God? We are. And Solomon built the most beautiful house of God that ever existed. What does that say about you? That God is making you more beautiful. God is making you more healthy. God is doing something in your physical body that is never, he's never done before. You will be the most beautiful house of God that has existed to date. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, man. <laughs> and the Lord said, you'll be a Solomon generation. You'll be a Solomon generation. You'll be known for your wealth and for your wisdom. The two go hand in hand. We don't have time to go into that today, but the two go hand in hand. Wealth and wisdom. Let me show you this. Watch this. First Kings chapter four. Solomon goes to offer something to the Lord once the house is built. Watch what happens. First Kings chapter four, uh, chapter three, verse four. It says, now the king talking about Solomon, he went to Gibeon to sacrifice there for that was the great high place. Solomon offered how many burnt offerings? How many? 1,000 burnt offerings on that altar. Next verse. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? <laughs> now, we know how the story ends. I'll read it in just a moment. But why a 1,000 burnt offerings? And let me show you the types and shadows, and we'll close, okay? Why a 1,000? You know that the Bible says God owns the cattle on a 1,000 hills, right? What about a 1,000 number one? Does God own those as well? <laughs> of course he does. But a thousand is a number for God that when God says a thousand, what he's saying is all of it, all of it. I own the cattle on a thousand means I own every cattle on every single hill. It all belongs to me. Are you with me? So when God says a thousand, he means the wholeness, the completeness. Now, when Solomon came, I believe this one thousand was actually a thousand. Solomon offered a thousand. But what did God see when he saw a thousand? He saw Solomon is bringing a thousand. Solomon is bringing the fullness of the sacrifice. Now, I've shared this before when we talk about wisdom. I've shared it before when we talk about wisdom. But look what happens. All right, let me show you the picture. What or who does the offering speak of? Jesus. Who does the burnt offering speak of? Jesus. And where at? At the cross. What did God see when Solomon brought a thousand burnt offerings? He saw a complete picture of his son at the cross. My God. That's why it's so important for you to say, I don't want to hear anything else but Jesus. Unless you have a greater revelation of him, I don't want it. I don't want it. And when your picture becomes full, God comes to him and says, ask, what can I give you? What can I give you? And we all know how the story ends. What does he say? Solomon says, Lord, give me a wise heart. In the Hebrew, give me a hearing heart so that I can know how to judge your people. And God was so impressed by the statement. The Lord says this, therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Verse 10, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor have asked for riches, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Verse 12. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked. I'm telling you before you can ask God, God is saying this year, I am giving you what you have not asked. And may you be a generation that's marked 
by not asking God and God still gives it. Oh man, I could tell you a story, but we don't have time. God is saying, you are a generation of people who are, look, oh man, I'm giving you even the things you have not asked for. You don't even have to ask for it. God is saying, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. Oh man, I'm giving it to you. Well, Lord, I need this. Don't ask him for that. Ask him for a heart that hears. And he'll give you what you haven't asked for. He'll give you what you haven't asked for. Oh, I have so much to share. Oh, man, I have so much to share. But I say it like this. Now, open this. Open the message like this. I believe this is a prophetic word for us. But I also believe it's a prophetic word for this generation. I've never come in here. I've never said this out loud. Never have I ever stood up and said, thus saith the Lord. The funny thing is this. Sometimes I come to church and I go, well, in the early days, I used to say, Lord, I have to have the word. What is the word for this? What is the? And I used to stress myself out. And one day I realized, I said, I can't come in with the word because I don't have the word. I'm done. I'm just going to bring what I see about Jesus that I've studied earlier this week. And I came and I shared it. And in that message, it was like the Holy Spirit came down with fire and everyone was screaming and shouting. I said, what did I do wrong? (laughs) And it was like the Lord was teaching me, relax. There will be days you have the word. There will be days you have a revelation. Just bring Jesus. When I give you the word, you'll have it. When you have a revelation of Christ, that's all we need. I've learned to relax. And I can say this with with all humility in my heart. I would never stand up here and say, I have the word of God for you. But I'm telling you, the Lord gave me this, and I'm so glad I can share it with you. Because I have no one else to share it with. (laughs) You're the only ones I talk to. God is saying you'll be known for your wealth and your wisdom. Can I show you one more verse? Watch this in the close. Watch this. Last verse. Second Chronicles. When Solomon issued that prayer, he built the house of God. God said this. God says, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. One more time. Who is the house of God? Who? You are. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. He's talking about the house back then. But for us, we are the house today. Every time you open your voice, God's ears are attentive to your prayers. God hears every single prayer. For I have chosen this temple. God has chosen you. You're a chosen people. And set it apart to be holy. A place where my name will be honored forever. Even when you don't honor him, he will make sure that his name is still honored in you. And what does he say? I will always watch over it. For it is dear to my heart. Aren't you glad? God says you are dear to his heart. You are his favorite house. You are his favorite house and you will be the most beautiful house. That has existed yet. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.